God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast brought us thus far on the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. Amen. Old commercials tell us a lot about what society is called to value in life. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is asking you to call. Drive your Chevrolet through the USA. America, the greatest land of all. One ad goes. While another ad promises you that you'll have fun, fun, fun flying southwest on a fun fair today. And yet still others like Coca-Cola print ads that call upon us to open happiness. This pursuit of what historian James Turslow Adams coined in the 1930s as the American dream has taken shape in many forms. It gives us a type of sense that we are destined for more than what we are. Gives us a type of sense that we are destined for more than what we are. Take the city of Phoenix, for instance. Oh yes, hearing a call to follow a dream had a lot to do with the hopes of people like John William Jack Swilling, a former Confederate soldier who has been credited by historians as laying the foundation for what is now known as the city of Phoenix. His vision, his vision was to see a great city rise up from the desert in the same way that that mythical bird would rise up from out of the ashes. But while this dream in the 1870s seemed grand to Jack Swilling and his people, it was sadly not that grand for many people at all. You see, Phoenix and much of the state of Arizona held tight controls on people of color from the very beginning. African-Americans, Native Americans, and Mexican-Americans were shut out from all kinds of opportunities. Even though the Arizona Territory was way out on the frontier, the Anglo society that came here carried many vestiges of things that it would have been better off leaving back on the East Coast. So many things, in fact, that there are many people who can still tell these stories today. I had the privilege this week to speak on the phone to former city council member Calvin Good, who served on the Phoenix City Council from 1972 to 1994. Good told me about several stories that he offered in a history of Phoenix at the Phoenix Public Library, and he furnished these stories to the library so that people would know about them. And in one of his stories, Good tells that when he grew up in the 1940s, he grew up in Gila Bend, that children of African Americans in the state of Arizona were only guaranteed education through elementary school. Many small towns didn't fund high schools for people of color, and so he, 
along with his sister, had to move to Phoenix to live with relatives so he could go and attend Carver High School, that, which was the only public high school at the time which admitted African Americans. Good also tells about even after the period when the schools were desegregated, Carver High School then closed, and so he, as a new teacher at that high school, was then out of a job, unemployed, shut out because the newly integrated Phoenix High School system did not employ African-American teachers. And then the 1960s arrived, bringing, as Good tells, times of marches, sit-ins, and other protests to insist upon equal treatment for all people. But in Phoenix, one of the most expanded protests centered around one of the most all-American institutions of its time, Woolworths, the five-and-dime store located right here in downtown near the bus lines at the corner of Washington and First Street. The store became the subject of many protests because although the majority of the shoppers at this location were African-American, Woolworths in downtown Phoenix did not hire African-Americans, and no African-American was even allowed to eat at the lunch counter until 1963. It took the leadership of the NAACP and civic leaders here like Lincoln and Eleanor Ragsdale to put pressure, not here locally, they had to go to Chicago and put pressure on Woolworths' corporate office to make a call to the general manager here and insist that the store give African Americans equal opportunity. And all I've said so far is an homage to so many people who have furthered the cause of civil rights in this city. Because I needed to give you a local context to why our nation, the entire nation, gathers tomorrow to remember the vision and dream of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the anniversary of his birth. Some of you might not know, but Dr. King actually visited Phoenix we believe twice, once in 1962 and once in 1964. And when he came, he met with thousands of people and he came to encourage people to persevere in their quest for liberty. And he followed in the footsteps of his college mentor, Morehouse University President Benjamin Mays, who taught King to encourage people to develop themselves to the best of their abilities and to never be afraid of life. To never be afraid of life. Dr. King's theology supported optimism and challenged people to live as brothers and sisters in the world, to live as a beloved community, to live as the beloved community of God. Dr. King was called to lead, to proclaim. He was calling us on behalf of God, calling us into a better world, into a world of the beloved community. Just like the prophet Isaiah, who says God calls us before we were even born, calls us to be consecrated as God's servant and as 
Jesus calls Peter and Andrew into life of being a disciple in community, we too are called to further this dream of living into God's beloved community. Even Paul, in the letter we hear today to the Corinthians, says that Paul identifies and says that he is called by God and that his Corinthian community is also called by God into fellowship. He says to be strengthened, to be blessed, to be made blameless, to be saved as community. We're hearing these messages from our scriptures today because this liturgical season of Epiphany has us immerse ourselves in the inbreaking of God's kingdom. It's the start each year of a proclamation that we hear every year that God dwells with humankind, and because God dwells with humankind, things can no longer be the same. That the presence of Christ being part of our community will allow us to go out and further the mission of this kingdom of God to live more fully into that dream of God's beloved community. Last week, last week, we heard the stories of Jesus being baptized. Mark taught us in his message that the presence of God was now fully fully dwelling with humankind in the most physical and mental and spiritual sense that we can ever know. And through this baptism of Christ, we are all set free. We're all set free. But this week, we have to ask ourselves, now that we're supposedly set free, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to be like Jesus, who, when asked in his gospel what his ministry was all about, he said, come and see. How are we going to further others to come and see? How are we helping people respond to the call of God? So let's start with Jesus. The life and ministry of Jesus is emerging in the church here. And just like Isaiah wrote today about the Holy One, the God of Israel, choosing that suffering servant who later biblical scholars interpreted as Jesus, Isaiah is also calling us to follow Jesus and to live into that spirit of adoption that God has chosen us, chosen us as sacred vessels to create us and bless us so that the task, so that the task of restoration and salvation of God's beloved community might be accomplished. But when we start with this recognition that we are God's chosen, what do we do? Where is our rallying point? Who do we rely on? How about one another? Finding strength with one another. Finding strength in community. Truly, we bind ourselves in the same ways we are bound with Christ in baptism. We bind ourselves and we commit to one another, to our common purpose, to proclaim God's love to all the end of the earth. 
But it starts here at home, at Trinity Cathedral in Phoenix. Not as some kind of kitschy catchphrase TV commercial pining away and daydreaming about who knows what, but by getting real. By seeing what we've been as a community. By talking about where we are now and by dreaming about where it might be possible to go. To go with a God that is calling us, that calls us out each by our very own name, out of our everyday existence, to join together, to band together, to serve the common good. As Dr. King said, to arrive at this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all God's children. So our first task is to listen, to discern, to listen with eyes and ears and hearts that hear God's call to us, to be honest about our past and to be hopeful for our future. But we got to do more than listen. We have to answer. We have to answer a God that has loved us from the beginning of time. To answer a community where the cries of the poor are so faint because we haven't fine-tuned their frequency enough to actually hear them. The call of Christ to join him in discipleship. To become a beloved community to see the needs of all people and to take new steps to get to know the person sitting next to you in church, the person who lives next to you in your neighborhood, the person you work with at your place of employment, to, to get to know them in a new and more fully present way because they too are beloved children of God. Because if we, as the people of Trinity Cathedral, can gain a sense that we are destined for more than what we are, if we can gain a sense that we are destined for more than what we are, if we begin to recognize ourselves and our neighbors as God's beloved community, we can then begin to honestly live more fully more fully into that prophetical spirit that God has called us to live into, to never be afraid of life, to never be afraid of life, to boldly proclaim that God's kingdom is here because Jesus today calls Peter and Andrew and you and me into discipleship. Because we're called to celebrate the diversity and the eclectic community of Phoenix. Because in our difference, we learn more about the full spectrum of the human experience. And finally, because we're called, we're called to live more fully into our baptismal promises. Striving for justice and peace among all people and respecting the dignity of every human being, of every 
human being. I'll close with Dr. King's final words of his letter from a Birmingham jail. If I have said anything in this message that is an understatement of truth and is indicative of an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. If I have said anything in this message that is an overstatement of the truth and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. Yours for the cause of peace and brotherhood. Martin Luther King, Jr.